Russell, I can't imagine a better night, a more Philly night than what went down last night, uh, not only at the Wells Fargo Center, but across the uh, Delaware Valley from 5 o'clock on. Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished? Are you working on that for a while? Yeah, I was, I was ready. I was ready to go. I have taught my two-year-old how to, uh, what does Meek Mill say? Hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. We've got that fully ingrained uh, in his head. Look, uh, I, the Sixers won their first playoff series in six years, uh, which is certainly a story here. Um, not totally unexpected. The game itself um, was, you know, rather uneventful. I think it unfolded the way pretty much all of the Sixers wins other than game one have unfolded. Um, you have the Meek Mill storyline. You have Brett Brown giving his post-game speech, being giving the bell to J.J. Redick and then being handed it back and getting doused with water and telling everybody he uh, likes being wet. Um, that is a coach who deserves that sort of thing more than anybody in in sport at the moment. Uh, just all around good feelings in Philly. Um, but I want to start. I want to start with the meek thing, and I would think most of our our listeners, you know, know the whole story. Know why he was in in jail for a uh, parole violation. Very ticky tack ones. He was recommended by. Uh, both his parole officer, the DA now, um, I think the the prosecutors at the time that he'd not be sent to prison. You had a judge who sort of overstepped her bounds and sent this ridiculous sentence of two to three years. So, you know, fast forward, there's the whole free meat campaign. It's a, it's a citywide thing. It becomes a national thing. Celebrities are involved. Uh, Lester Holt winds up, you know, interviewing Meek from prison. It becomes a whole thing. For him to get out of prison at a little more than three hours before game five of the Sixers playoff series, get picked up by the billionaire co-owner in a helicopter, flown to the arena, and go directly to the Sixers locker room. It's like the opposite of Monopoly. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. Uh, Pass go, go directly to the Sixers locker room and collect your $200. Get your shower in what appeared to be Villanova's locker room. And then go out and be honored on the court while your song, that by the way was a anthem for the Philadelphia Eagles who won the Super Bowl, is blared over the loudspeaker. Give the owner of the Eagles a hug, Jeffrey Laurie, and then watch the Sixers go out and kick the shit out of the Miami Heat and Dwayne Wade. It is hard to imagine a more Philly story uh, than what went down last night. Yeah, like me getting out like he did was was pretty apropos. And for a long time, my only issue, I think, with him getting out was I didn't like the fact that Ruben went and tipped it. I wanted it to be a full surprise, and I said a while ago, I wanted this to be like The Undertaker coming back mm-hmm. to WrestleMania. Like, I wanted them to, to run out Aaron McKee, and then out of nowhere, you know, you would hear, like, the ringing of the bell or something, and then you would hear the hold up, wait a minute, y'all thought I was finished, and then it goes spotlight to him in front of the bell, and he starts pounding the bell. I was like, that would have been, been the greatest thing. Um, but you know, it's a good call. It's a good because, call, actually. But because you know, we can't have full theatrics like that. Um, this was certainly a good way, a good way to go. Um, you know, I was also, and this is stupid, but you know, as you're looking at the crowd and you're starting to look at the people who are coming out to support the team, one of the people who was sitting behind the heat bench, who was sitting behind uh, Eric Spolstra, pretty much on every cutaway, was Nick Stauskas. 
And it was kind of cool to see. This is this is like a thing that, you know, you don't necessarily see in a lot of in a lot of cities and with a lot of teams. But a guy who, you know, had been part of the process coming back to support, you know, some of the best friends that he has in the league, I thought was kind of cool as well. Certainly does and, not hold hold a candle to the theatrics and the last minute. You know, will he? Won't he make it? Like Meek, but I thought that was really cool. And it was, and it was I would add that. Come out. Jahlil Okafor, as Brian Colangelo would say, uh, liked Michael Rubin's picture on Instagram after the game, which was uh, Rubin, Embiid, Meek, uh, someone else. Maybe there was a little kid in there as well. Uh, Jahlil was one of the ones who liked that. So I found that uh, found that a little bit interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually think a uh, good call on the surprise. I think that's probably would have been pretty difficult to do because, uh, you know, word probably would have leaked out. Um, from someone else that he had been freed, but at least it would have kept up the intrigue. Um, I am on record as saying that Meek showing up uh, during the Eagles victory parade would have been the ultimate, but you know, you needed cooperation from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to make this work. Um, I, I, I'm just so, you know what's cool is that the way Philly, everything that's happened here this year has been terrific from a sports standpoint. I mean, everything is coming up Philly at the moment, uh, except for the Flyers. Who's think? <laughs> but what? Uh, um, sorry, someone tweeted that at it's me a, last night, and I thought it was right. weird. Like, except no, the Flyers, it's, we're not. It's mostly it's mostly true. But everything has and been so. It's yeah. It's been so nice and uh, not nice. It, it's been so fascinating the way that everything has been done in a truly Philly way. Like this is. If you would have written what happened last night into an Always Sunny script, you would have thrown it in the trash and say, no, this is improbable. The rapper gets freed, gets picked up by the billionaire, and and heads directly to the Sixers locker room to be honored and high-five and hug the players and Kevin Hart and sit courtside and all of that. Like, you would have thrown that script out. But this these last four months have been sort of an Always Sunny episode. Like, what makes that show so good and so accurate is it portrays the gritty quirky nature of Philadelphia better than anything ever has before and look at the Eagles Super Bowl run it's in the beginning dominated by the guys being massive you know being these underdogs coming out on the field wearing these rather hideous dog masks and it taking essentially like the whole football nation by storm becomes a whole thing a whole thing it's not just a local thing it's it's known in national circles you have it becomes almost like their de facto mascot and then their super bowl run they come out and dethrone the the hated giants they come out to meek mill's song you got this rapper who's in prison that's their song and the Patriots lamely come out to Crazy Train. Then they beat them and Tom Brady's run and crystallize the whole thing with a guy in a mummer's costume delivering an F-bomb-laden rant on the steps of the art museum. And that's, you know, more than anything, the lasting image from the Eagles' whole Super Bowl run is going to be Jason Kelsey on the steps in a mummer's costume. It's hard to get more Philly than that. And now you have the Sixers making this run, and playing in just perfectly with their whole Philly Unite branding campaign, owning the history of the city, um, you know, circling the wagons for, uh, I don't know, uh, local, you know, I don't know, it's too early in the morning for me to have the right word there, circling the wagons from outsiders. And then you have 
this game five, a chance to move on for the first time in eight in eight or six years, really culminate the process. Uh, what, regardless of what happens for the rest of the season here, I think you could pretty much say process is now complete. You know, they've turned the page, they've turned the corner. They're officially an NBA title contender, which is kind of wild to say. And regardless of what happens here, the process is over. And to do that on a night where your hometown, your hometown guy, the hometown rapper who has the city behind him, uh, becomes a national story, gets freed by the billionaire owner, who, by the way, also a local guy, grew up in Lafayette Hill, started his business, made his money here, has never left, springs him from the clink in a helicopter, flies him to the game, goes down, sits courtside. You have the owner of the Eagles there. You have your other stars. You have Kevin Hart, as annoying as he's getting. And he's the one who got booze last night, not Meek when the bell ringing. You got Lil Dicky. Like, it's just, it's just a perfect feel. This feels like an episode of Always Sunny. And I think if you tried to include some of this stuff, people would say, oh, come on. Like, this is, this is too much. The Mummer's costume, the helicopter right to the Sixers. Like, it's, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I was highly excited. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a, there's a side piece to this that I think, you know, kind of is also worth mentioning, you know, like, we talked about the other day, the the Phillies are also in the midst of a resurgence. They've they've kind of found their new groove. They've uh, you know, they've been trotting out a bunch of younger guys who are exciting to watch it. They've they've kind of caught our attention off to the side as two playoff runs were going on. It kind of gives us hope going into the summer. And, you know, Anthony and I recorded last night for Thursday's Snow the Goalie, and the the one thing that I said is uh like the, the only thing that maybe is a shame in this entire situation is You've got the the Flyers now are falling in farther and farther into obscurity. And, you know, yesterday it came out that uh, they were in the top five in the NHL of teams who had massive drops in um, TV ratings. TV ratings fell 25% this year for the Flyers. And the one thing that I said to him last night was, you know, when when you kind of look at the landscape of sports in the city, the Flyers and the Sixers are always compared. Now, their sports aren't comparable, um, and the the time it takes and everything, that, that's not the same. But for years, the Sixers were irrelevant. I mean, like, you can even go back as far as saying, like, after the 01 title run, or the finals run with Iverson, from that point on, or, like, maybe say, like, from 06 on, this team never had a shot. I mean, they were a mediocre team at best. And then you had the process years where literally the only people watching it were psychopaths like me who would sit through a 10 and 72 season, which by the way, TJ McConnell said was a hard fought 10 and 72. The Flyers had an opportunity to kind of jump up in the, in the hierarchy of Philadelphia sports. And to some extent, I guess they did a little bit, but man, you look at the Sixers team and when, when you try to, when you're trying to figure out, you know, where do the Flyers fall? Where do the Sixers fall in this city? You know, obviously the Sixers are number one right now, right? Like in teams that are currently playing, we're not saying they're up there with the Eagles, but the Sixers team is exciting. The casual fan has, has bought in. The entire city appears to have bought in. The rebranding that they did for the playoffs looks amazing. So that, I mean, that just on its own, like you've, you've now caught people. It's, now you've got, by the way, got, hold on, just let me stop you there. It, it, it's incredible because 
it's so comprehensive. It's not just the logo and the jerseys. It's an entire ad campaign. They have these, uh, if you're following them on Twitter, they have these um, kind of pre-produced videos that are uh, like a cartoon grain highlight of whatever that fits into that the same look, the same aesthetic appeal of the whole campaign, that parchment color, that old-timey thing. Yep. Um, I mean, just everywhere. Like, they have... This wasn't just, hey, we're going to roll out these new jerseys and this new logo and, and half buy in. I mean, they're sending people in the media apparel. They're sending uh, decals to basically, you know, everyone that, who they have an address for. And you have decals popping up all over the city. Like, um, I, I'm sure this is Chris Hex doing, but what they have... The way they have done this and rolled it out, whereas I was thinking about this last night, the Flyers will come up with a playoff slogan or put it on a T-shirt and then just sort of like, okay, here we go. Here's our little thing, and we're going to put it on the free T-shirt, and, and that's pretty much it. And this is where you see the difference, and I was touched on this a little the other day, where you see the difference of a team that you know kind of really doesn't have someone setting a tone and a direction and a team that very much cares about its tone and direction. And the Flyers the Flyers don't right now. Uh, the Phillies kind of do. You know, they have the whole be, be bold thing, but that's kind of a good, also a good, uh, you know, opposite of what the Sixers are doing. Yeah, they, they rolled out this tag and it's be bold, and, and that's pretty much it. They just use a hashtag and occasionally use it in their ads. Yeah, Whereas look, the Sixers the, have gone I, all yeah, in the, with the, the United thing, and that is Or the Sixers marketing is just totally It's unbelievable, and that is the difference. And someone would say, well, you know, I can't believe you're judging the Flyers on their marketing. I'm like, I'm not judging the team itself, but as a product, you see someone who's doing it very right right now in the Sixers, and you see someone who doesn't really have a true owner and feels a little rudderless in the Flyers, and regardless of on-court success, you see how that pervades into the the psyche. So carry on. I I just wanted to mention that. uh, That was was more or less it, but like, this is is like where I end up, you know, living and dying with five teams in the city there was a a legitimate free-for-all uh that that had kind of opened up for about a two-year window from like let's say april through july or april through august until training camp really started in the preseason for the eagles started where any of the of the four teams that play or could potentially play you know had the ability to go out spend money acquire legitimate talent and kind of take the uh the eagles off season by storm and two of the teams did, and two of the teams didn't. And it just so happens that, you know, the Sixers are a team that, you know, after the process was complete, walked away with two generational talents. They walked away with Dario Saric, who, by the way, like this, this is still an incredible moment. If you think back to the draft, to the uh, the draft, that Hinky <laughs> drafted Alfred Payton, knowing that Orlando wanted him. And then managed to get back the pick that the uh, Sixers traded for Arnett Moultrie um, to get Dario and a f- and another first. Uh, Dario, the way that he's just kind of fit into the starting lineup after like early in the season when the idea was brought up, you know, it was met with a little bit of skepticism about you know would would him playing the four work? How would it look? I mean, he's he's really carved out a, a massive niche. This isn't a thing where like he's going to go to the bench if they acquire another star. Like Covington's the guy likely to go to the bench. So if you go out and pursue a LeBron, who D-Wade kind of alluded to a little bit yesterday in his post-game press conference, the parallels between Ben and, and LeBron. If you go out and try to get LeBron or Paul George or make a trade for Kawhi, like Saric, unless he's part of a of a trade for a superstar, he's going to be you know one of your starting five. And you think back to it, like where he was at even at the end of his rookie season where 
uh, you know, he was carrying the team after Embiid went out. I don't think any of us could have really prepared for, you know, what he is right now. And he's playing with the confidence that we saw him play with in Turkey. And it's something where, like, when he first started with this team, uh, you know, he, he seemed really reserved. He was kind of held within himself. But I think it was, was it uh, like maybe the sixth or seventh game of the win streak? Remember the play where he dove out for the ball? He did an underhand scoop up to uh, to Simmons for the dunk, got up, and looked like he was going Super Saiyan, like just screaming his head off. I mean, when you start to see a demonstrative Dario, you know that he's feeling the game. And so, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. I Like, I think Dario... And his uh, his kind of like blue collar mentality kind of fits back in with the city and the calm and the poise that Simmons shows and the fun and the energy that Embiid brings to the table. You just kind of look at it and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they they are a, a great embodiment of what the city of Philadelphia is. And that that doesn't even bring into account guys like J.J. Redick, who, you know, chose to come here. I mean, he was offered a ton of money, but chose to come here and he looks like he's made a better, you know, great decision, you know, more and more every day. You know, I was thinking that last night, seeing him at the podium with Embiid and seeing how happy the two of them looked, and especially Redick. And um, I remember thinking, like, you know, there are times in, in anyone's career, regardless of what you do, where you have to make a decision, uh, and it's it's a, you know, kind of a vector point. And you can, when you're an NBA player, your options are only good and great. Um, it's high paying job, uh, and you know, uh, pseudo fame versus high paying job, pseudo fame and winning. And, you know, he chose the latter and he nailed it. I mean, this was, this was a guy who, um, you know, had some choices. His wife wanted to, wanted him to stay in Brooklyn. Um, you know, clearly put a lot of time and effort and thought into his decision as we, as we learned last summer with his podcast and that mini documentary and all of that. And, I mean, he, he stuck the landing on his choice. He really did. And he became, uh, you know, a key part. I know you occasionally have your, your issues with him. But, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think it's possible for him to have been better this year. Um, to be putting up his career, his career high in averages and to be the player, you saw him yelling. I don't know. At least I was watching the TNT broadcast, which I'll touch on in a second. But you saw him yelling in the huddle um, last night. I mean, he's clearly kind of the – the veteran presence on this team. Um, but yeah, He's, I mean, it's he, like... He really, trajectory-wise, has kind of had the Alshon thing, right? Like, mm. it in the in the early yeah. going, in the early going, we were kind of wondering, you know, like, is he going to be able to earn his money? Like, it, is he going to fill the role that we expected him to fill? And he had some early season struggles. Like, the, he, he was... He was shooting, I think, like 38%, which isn't bad by any stretch, but it wasn't exactly what we were expecting from him as a floor spacer. And as the season went on and as they continued to, you know, add other veterans and add other guys to space the floor and they figured out how to play, you know, with Simmons and, you know, Simmons kind of caught, you know, got himself caught up to speed after a year away because of injury. You know, his his red shirt year, though, you know, shouldn't keep him, uh, shouldn't make him eligible for the, uh, the rookie of the year award. Um, you know, like the more that these guys built chemistry and learned to play together, you started to see his three-point percentage shoot up, and the the leadership that he's brought to the team isn't valuable. But the three-point shooting that he's brought and the playmaking that he's you know brought off ball, it's I think it's more than any of us could have hoped for. So it, it kind of worked out. I mean, it, it really was like Alshon. Alshon came up the biggest win in the playoffs and at the end of the season, and JJ's done the exact same thing. It's been awesome to see. Well, yeah, it's another thing, and he touched on that last night. I mean, 
uh, specifically with regarding to the end game situations. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, we weren't a good fourth quarter team early in the season. And this is the thing I'm pretty sure I remember saying this on here. And I think a lot of sane minded folks were, whereas, you know, there was, there was a lot of, uh, panic button pressing from those who shall go unnamed in our Slack and on Twitter. But, it, you know, it's it's tough as a, first of all, it's tough with young guys, with a guy, with your point guard having never played an NBA game and having sat out the last season to just come in and be ready for end game scenarios. But you not only had a relatively young team, but you had a team that had barely played together. By the time they played the first game of the season, like, they had almost never played together as a group, save for a handful of preseason games. And, you know, you saw like that Wizards game, the first game of the year. Fast forward a year, and uh, we we even saw it last January with the team last season, where, you know, it took them a while, then they hit their stride in January, and then Embiid gets hurt, and Simmons is announced out for the year, and then it all kind of just, you know, falls off the cliff. But, this team, the more they play together, the better they are getting, not just because each individual player is getting, because they're learning to play well together. And I think Reddick's point was, we can still get better. Like th- this, is, They now have a week to go back to practice, and if they make a finals run, they're going to be playing another six-plus weeks of basketball. And think about how far they've come in the last six weeks, and injuries notwithstanding, and hopefully everyone is able to remain healthy. And, you know, when you see Ben Simmons take that tumble last night, it's it's horrifying. Um, you know, they could be even 20% better in a month and a half from now than they are now. And I think that's why you see people like 538 giving them the second best odds at 13% to win the finals. By the way, that is ahead of the Warriors, most likely because the Warriors would have to go through the Rockets. But still, like that is why you see that number so high, because this team is on an upward trajectory and they're already kicking people's asses. Um, yeah, so, I mean, look, all in all, you, you mentioned the thing about the Flyers and the Sixers and, you know, kind of where the pantheon of Philly sports teams is. You know, we're always – this. when people say it's a four-for-four four city, um, there are other people who would counter with the fact that we can occasionally be front-runners and, you know, glom on to whatever the best, hottest team is at the moment. I think that's unfair because that absolutely happens in every sports city on the planet, first of all. But I think the more accurate way to think about it is everybody here loves each of the four major teams. I I am not including the union for the sake of this argument because, I honestly, I don't think the average fan does. But I don't even think most of the people who like the team like the team right now. That's kind of what I was getting at, too, is they had a window. They blew it. They absolutely blew it. And now at this point, there's such apathy that's set in on their end. That, no, but I guess you know, my point is, I don't awful. think, though their window, they could have gotten themselves some interest and certainly heightened their profile. They're, they're not... They weren't they going to crack the top they, four, but they very, exactly. they very yeah. well could have gotten themselves in the conversation, you know, within, within reason of, you know, a, a down year's number four. But they're not. Like, yeah, they're I mean, they're was... like seventh. I, I could almost, you know, say that people who go watch The Soul are more energized by their success than people are. And like the return of the wings, that'll probably be met with higher attendance right now than the Philadelphia Union. Someone told me there's only four teams left in the arena league. Is that true? The solar one of four teams remaining. So there's a good chance of winning. again. I don't know. I I have no idea. Um, Anyway, yeah, I mean, like, there was a vacuum, and, and no one really stepped up to fill it, and the Eagles were the only team that occasionally made a little bit of noise over the last five years. But, I, you know, what I was driving at was everybody here loves each of the four teams, and the reason we glom on to the best is because 
there's a built in. There's no oh, you know, they're only Sixers fans. There's only Flyers fans. Like yeah, I mean that's the case to an extent, but more so than any city, there are four, you know, quote unquote four for four people here, and you see the Eagles are always going to be number one. Certainly coming off a of Super Bowl, no one is is challenging that. I think it was a reasonable discussion to have a few years ago during the Phillies run, because ultimately there's a lot of I would say older generation folks who who would consider baseball their number one. And, and that might be a reasonable challenge. But this people in Philly love basketball. And the problem is, and, and we've said this time and again on here, is you know, you're know you in your, your mid to late 20s. I'm in my mid 30s. And basically everyone my age, a little bit older, and then all the way down to you know kids have never really experienced winning professional basketball in this town. The Sixers won in 83 the year I was born. Um there was that, you know, there was the little run for three years with Iverson. They never truly had a chance to win a title. I mean, 2001, they played above their fighting weight and got themselves to 1-0 in the finals and then got, you know, kind of rightfully put in their place by the Lakers. But that was it. We had that little brief pop, and then it's been total mediocrity and, at best, and obscurity at worst for almost 30 years. And I, I, the, the, the old-timers who hated the process— this is, you know, this is why fans were willing to undertake it. it. No one is interested in an eight seed potentially getting to the playoffs, which is is what the Sixer ceiling was for so many years. And if it took five years to reset and come out with this, and it's like, okay, well, we already wasted twenty five. What's another five years? And and now here we are. And that's uh, and the I thing think you're that- seeing how cool it can be. I think what's so neat about this and what was so neat about even 01 was that we never actually, we know what the Flyers in a playoff atmosphere looks like. Um, you know, now, we now know what the Phillies in a playoff atmosphere looks like. And obviously we know what a football town it is. We had just never seen what it's like when our basketball team is is a title contender. And it, it's, it, it makes for a raucous, uh, raucous Wells Fargo Center. And uh, you know, what looks at least on TV to be one of the top two environments in the league uh, for professional basketball. Yep. You nailed it on the head. And, and you know, for, for whatever way people want to look at it, whether or not you like basketball, whether or not you agree with the process, it's it's now hard to argue with the results. You know, so we can throw that back to what's-his-face, the Milwaukee owner, who said he didn't care about the uh, the process, he cared about results. Well, you know, Milwaukee's about to get eliminated the from the playoffs. and uh, And, yeah. Um, but I don't what know. do you make of the Sixers' chances now moving forward? You know, kind of high hard, level. It's a hard series. It's this. This is going to probably be a seven-game series. Um, See, Boston. Boston is well coached. So um, are the Heat. Yeah, but Boston's talent is is much higher. Their threshold for what they're going to be able to do is is much higher than than what Miami's was. The thing is, and I, it, it seems really. Um, I don't know. People really like to glom. You want to talk about glomming on? People like to glom on to the idea that like uh, they haven't followed the league all year, and now all of a sudden they know that Kyrie Irving is out, and they assume that that means that Boston's trash, and they're not. Um, you've got guys like Jalen Brown and even Jason Tatum, who you know is certainly not up for consideration for Rookie of the Year, but it's a guy who's you know been a legitimate contributor, especially through this postseason run. You've got a guard in Terry Rozier that's going to cause some nightmares uh, in the backcourt. They don't have anybody who really lines up with the Sixers' frontcourt, which is where this game should 
this series should theoretically be won. Al Horford's going to D up Embiid, but it's not going to do much. I mean, like Embiid should be able to run wild on him for the most part. Um, but their wing depth and their guard depth is what's going to cause the Sixers problems. And, you know, we saw in this series the way that JJ kind of was taken out of certain games because of physical play, because they were making him, you know, they were really making him work for it. And, you know, Bellinelli, they're going to probably approach it in a similar way. They're they're going to do whatever they can to jam him up. And now whether or not they're successful, I don't know. But I think that guard play is, is going to be like the biggest determining factor of the series. I still think the Sixers should win. I think they will win. Um, but I don't think it's the cakewalk that the casual fan who hasn't followed the NBA all year thinks it is with Kyrie Irving and, and Gordon Hayward out. And that's not that's not to put down the Sixers because I know that that's going to be the thing. Like people are going to go after me and say that I'm being negative. I'm not. I just think you know you you kind of think back to what this Boston team was when it was on what was it a 20 game win streak earlier in the season. You know they had Kyrie and and I'll absolutely give that. But what the Gordon Hayward injury gave the Boston Celtics was the chance to see what guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier could do over the course of a season. It's not like they just lost Kyrie and they hadn't played without him all season. Um, so it, it's something that, you know, people are going to have to kind of do their homework on. I don't see Milwaukee, you know, winning the next two games to steal the series. But if they do, that's a, be- a beautiful matchup uh, for the Sixers. You know, Giannis, it's, it's Giannis and a bunch of broken misfit toys. Um, yep. But uh, the Boston series is going to be tough. And look, the Miami series going up against, you know, James Johnson and Tyler Johnson and these guys that wanted to, like, punch you in the mouth, that was a really good way to get yourself set up. That's like dipping your toe into the water. And now, Boston, you've got to take the full dive. And if you can, man, is it going to open up in the Eastern Conference Finals because neither of the teams that, you know, potentially could meet you there are going to tee you up all that much. I mean, Toronto, maybe. But I would still imagine that LeBron could theoretically get past. Uh, if Indiana beats Cleveland, then this whole okay, thing goes so, sideways. So let, all right, I did that the, thing where I where I give like thirty talking points. My bad. Yeah, thank you. Um, the, so the Celtics part and, and the Sixers' future chances here. The only thing that really concerns me, and and, and just you know, let's let's put some numbers to this. So, um, oh good, my browser's frozen. So the Sixers, uh, as I'm talking here, I will I will circle back to this. Um, okay, so from 538, the Sixers are currently uh, second. Now, I, I say what you want about 538. Uh, this is their their Carmelo Elo ranking system uh, where they take uh, simulations and ELO ratings of team versus team and player projections and update them, and it's, it's, a, it's a whole black box. It's easier to describe in text. Point is, uh, it's very it's it's very good, and people would like to point to the fact when they're wrong, Uh, Because, you know, they'll say a team has an 80% chance of winning and then the 20% comes true as like some reason that it's fallible. And that's not really accurate because when they say it's 80-20, like Trump winning, which is what they did, there is actually a 20% chance of the other thing happening. So this isn't to be taken as gospel. But the point is, if you do these things 100 times, this is what you would expect to come up with. Sixers are currently second in their uh, rating. Uh, with a 13% chance of winning the title. The Rockets are first with a 46% chance, which is sort of wild. Um, Ironically, I actually like the Sixers matchup with the Rockets more than anybody else who's certainly coming out of the West, you know, compared to the Warriors, I guess. Um, 
The Sixers have a 72% chance of reaching the conference finals, whereas the Celtics are only 25%. Uh, that other three, of course, belongs to the Bucks. So the Celtics will pop up a few points, presumably, after the series, and they'll go to 28, and the Sixers will be at or 27, and the Sixers will be at 72. Uh, the Sixers have a 41% chance of making the finals, 10, 10 percentage points better than the Raptors, who were 31%, and you know really nobody else in the East is even close. The Cavs are all, all the way down at 12%, and then 13% chance of winning for the Sixers. Next closest team would be the Raptors uh, at 10%. Uh, in terms of Vegas odds, Sixers are third behind the Rockets, Warriors, and, and then it's the Sixers. So, it, you know, I think what we do here... And for good reason, because we have 30 some years of experience of doing this, depending this on your on your age, is always being the underdog and always worrying about what the opponent will do. And to me, yes, a if nothing else, the Heat have provided a blueprint on how to play the Sixers. That was a uh, I don't want to say needlessly, but that was a tougher series than it really needed to be. Um, if you take a team like the Celtics and are able to play the Sixers that toughly. And also add in the fact that you have more talent than the Heat and more ability to score and, and run and gun on occasion with the Sixers. Yeah, that worries me. Um, two points on that, though. I don't think, I know you heard J.J. Redick talk about this last night and B touched on it and he talked to a player in the league who told him the playoffs are always tougher and this shouldn't have been a surprise what the Heat did. I don't think you're going to find a team who is more willing to get down in the gutter than the way the Heat did. Yes, it's playoff basketball. Yes, it's more physical and all of that. But look around the NBA. What went on in the Sixers series is, was not going on in every other series. Yes, all these games are hard fought and all of that. But I, I truly don't think you're going to find a team that is just willing to kind of throw out basketball as you know it and just play aggressively tough. Not to mention they came into the series as a very good defensive team. One of the best the Sixers uh, could potentially go up against up until the finals. So... That's one. Two is, J.J. Redick said it last night, they didn't shoot well. They sh- Other than game one, they were pretty dreadful shooting for the entire series, at least for the majority of most of the games. They had these little streaks they talked about in the TNT broadcast, you know, these one-quarter pops. Each winning team in the series had one. You think, if, you, if the Sixers are able to do that to the Heat, admittedly a, a relatively mediocre team, but win in five games, uh, pretty much win most of them by... I don't know. Um, Considerable you know, margins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and do that not shooting well. I actually like their chances better against a team like the Celtics, who yes, they're gonna they have a blueprint. Yes, they have more talent, but they're gonna want to play a little. Their the games will be more wide open than what we've seen against the Heat. The Heat gave the tr- Sixers trouble all year. And in anything that is more wide open than this, with shots falling, the Sixers are just flat out better than any team they're gonna play until the finals. So. You know, while we can look at the other teams and say, what might they do? Why might we be scared of them? Think about how petrified teams are of playing the Sixers. Because this team just won in five games um, without hitting shots. And what they do is hit shots. That's, uh, you know, you got to feel pretty good about that. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, Really quick before we head out here. um, Any thoughts real quick? Let's keep it to like 30 seconds or so. Chris Carlin, uh, who left WIP to go up to New York, now got railroaded by uh, Mike Francesa, uh, what is it, CAA agency and WFAN. He's now, I guess, getting relegated to the one to three slot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 a thing for the people who are keeping up on Chris Carlin. 
right, so uh, this has been a, an episode of Crossing Broadcast uh, brought to you by the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Um, Sixers win a series. They finally look like they're going to be a team that is going to be reckoned with or to be reckoned with. And it's exciting stuff. We'll be back Friday to recap the uh, the Eagles draft picks um, in the NFL draft, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will. Um, and continue to look forward to what the Sixers series has going on, as well as uh, the Red Hot Fight and Fills. Uh, we will be back on Friday. Don't forget to check out all of the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up, Snow the Goalie, Crossing Broad FC, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Leave five-star reviews in iTunes. We'll read them on those shows and on this one. And until Friday, we will talk to you then. <laughs>